Welcome to PwC's Tax Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Readiness Webcast Series, held on March 27, 2019, covering Q1 financial reporting considerations. The panelists for the webcast were Rick Levin, a partner in PwC's Tax Accounting Services Group and U.S. Tax Accounting Services Leader, Luke Shervaney, a partner in the Tax Accounting Services Group, Amber Whalen, a director in the Tax Accounting Services Group, and Brian Croto, a PwC Assurance Partner. This excerpt consists of a discussion of disclosures and also critical audit matters, or CAMs. Have a listen. Okay, so Amber, another uh, another area for interim that we want to spend a little bit of time on is disclosures. If you think about you know annual, or if you think about disclosure requirements under the Income Tax Accounting Standard, the vast majority of those fall within the annual period. Um, so there's there's a risk that you might miss something on the interim side if you're not too uh, if you're not careful. Yes. So I'll start with a couple of general reminders about interim disclosures. The first is that. Um, these interim reports are meant to be an update from your end, so you can assume that the reader has read your 10K and you don't necessarily want to repeat the same disclosures that you had in your 10K. And then you want to, when you're looking at whether or not to disclose something, consider whether the impact is material in the context of the interim financial statements, not with respect to an annual report. And then as you look at income tax disclosures in particular, the types of things that we generally see disclosed are with respect to your annual estimated ETR. So if you're going to be updating and changing that based on your facts and circumstances each period, it's meant to be the best current estimate. So as you do that, you need to disclose how that rate might be changing. Then discrete items and changes in significant estimates are also items that we would see disclosed. So. The things that Luke was talking about with changes in valuation allowances or changes in uncertain tax positions are also items that you would typically see disclosed, if they're material, of course. So um, just encourage everyone to take a fresh look at their interim disclosures and have the the new lens post-tax reform just to to make sure that you're really providing clear and transparent disclosures for your readers. Excellent. Well, um, Luke, maybe one of these questions we're getting I want to Kind of direct towards you, uh, and this is one that does often come up, and it's in the context of when you have uh, companies that are going through ETR planning. Mm-hmm. It's common at the beginning of the year, a, a, a company will set a goal for what they want to meet for their ETR, and they'll have certain tax planning strategies that they have the intention and, and the plans to implement before the end of the year in order to meet those goals. Right. Uh, but this question often comes up, when can you, if those aren't yet implemented, at what point can you take those into account in your AETR and, you know, could you do that in the first quarter? Of course, people would want to be able to do that. Yeah, so we get this question a lot, obviously. Um, there's not a black and white answer to that question. So within, within ASC 740, there's guidance around um, tax planning strategies as it relates to valuation allowances. There's planning that people do relative to a change in a tax status. So the facts matter. The, the nature of the planning matters, the company's um, intent, their control, like all those factors based on whatever planning you're talking about matter. So it's not, it's not a black and white answer. I think, therefore, the, the, the heart of the answer to that question is, is that you're out in front of it. And based on the nature of the planning, you're th- being thoughtful of, of does it fit into an accounting model? What accounting model does that planning fit into? And 
I'm thinking through making sure that I'm recording the impacts in the proper period. And you're right. I mean, a lot of times when people ask that question, it's in the context of, well, where is the line? So I know where it is and I can follow that rule. And it's just, it's much more complicated right. than that, yep. unfortunately. Okay. Well, Brian, you've been waiting very patiently sitting through this <laughs> riveting conversation, I'm sure. Um, but I want to get to camps. Mm -hmm. And, and this, is, this is a topic that we spent some time uh, on prior webcasts talking about and, and even on our most recent one. And I think it's something that you know, speaks to the, the change in the standard that the PCAOB made a year and a half ago. Um, and I think by now most people have at least heard of it. You know, even tax people have now heard of it. Uh, it's effective coming up later this year. But the reason I wanted to talk about it today is that uh, we as PwC, as an auditor of, um, of large publicly accelerated filers, <laughs> we also, and, and other firms as well, we ran a dry run program this year mm -hmm. current with our year-end close. And part of that is to, to get some practice, to try to figure out how we're going to, to incorporate some of these changes to the standard, but uh, and also just to gather some information. So two things really why it's on the agenda and why, why we've asked you to be here is one, I, based on the dry run, I'm guessing there are a lot more people that are watching this that are now familiar and have had firsthand experience with a CAM that the one we talked about in the past probably didn't have those experiences. So there, I'm sure there would be more, you know, listening to, you know, what's going on and what, what's kind of the details behind it. But then secondly, I thought it would be interesting just to share some of our observations from our own dry run. It just might be helpful to have people kind of understand that. But perhaps a, a place to start and really kind of speak some, to some of your backgrounds. So you, you spent six years at the SEC and you actually worked in that role with the PCOB on the development of this auditing standard. So, I mean, in, from my perspective, I think it'd be very interesting to get your point of view on, on what's going on here with the standard and, and maybe just start with some background on where we're at in that process. Yeah. Sure, Rick. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. And thanks for inviting me to be with you today. Really, the changes that the PCB adopted back in 2017 were with the focus of enhancing the auditor's report and providing additional information uh, to users, stakeholders, investors uh, to make the report more meaningful and informative. Um, when you think about kind of just to kind of frame again where we are in the, in the effort, when you think about the changes the PCOB made, they certainly were the most significant changes to the auditor's report in over 70 years. The first set of changes we've already adopted, implemented, and we're sort of in our second cycle actually now relative to standard form and content and wording in the report and the auditor tenure disclosure. And obviously you've asked me to be with you today to talk about the critical audit matter or CAM reporting. This will be the first year starting June 30 um, of, of, of this year for uh, year, end, year ends for large accelerated filers where that will come into effect. It's really a phased, a phased approach and then there'll be others that come on board that, are, that the standard applies to in 2020. Um, so, you know, as you've said, we, we, we've been very proactive as a firm and others in the profession have as well relative to uh, conducting dry runs, making sure that we've got the right methodology in place, tools and the like to, to assist relative to the implementation and thinking about the consistency in the approach that we're taking, not only as a firm, but generally as a profession, just given, uh, again, the nature of the disclosure that will be made or the communication that will be made in our auditor report. Um, in, in fact, as a result of some of those um, discussions, we, we've been engaged through the profession and with the profession with the PCOB. And last week, they issued uh, guidance really to help facilitate the, the implementation. Not a lot of surprise there, although really three documents that they produced. And 
Actually, I brought all three of them with me today, but one of them is a short five-page document that you can find on their website, and we put a link on the slide here. It's really a very digestible summary of, this, of the standard and its requirements, and I, I think you know, really worth a read for those that want to really just ground themselves in the basics. We'll cover it a bit today, I suspect, but really just to ground, ground in the basics. Excellent. And, you know, it's, it's always interesting when you hear there are changes being made to the, to the opinion, the auditor's opinion, um, and I think that gets people's attention. Uh, but if we think about CAMs, what is a CAM? Maybe we can start with just kind of the basics around what is a CAM. Yeah. So CAM is a matter that arises from the audit and must meet all three of, of the, the filters that are described on the slide here. So first, it has to have been communicated or required to be communicated to the audit committee. It has to relate to accounts or disclosures that are material to the financial statements. And then lastly, and, and probably the most importantly, uh, it, is in, it involves especially challenging, subjective, or complex audit or judgment, any one of those three. And we'll talk maybe more, more about that. But, um, but when you think about how, how we sort of describe these as three filters, if you will, um, you know, these are intended to provide not only the, the base and the frame from which you start to accumulate the matters that could be CAMs, but then help you begin to filter which matters might rise to the level of a CAM. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of audit or judgment in making the determination of the matters that, that rise to that level. Well, you know, I, so I, I read on here subjective or complex uh, audit or judgment. Um, it does kind of beg the question, okay, when, what kinds of criteria would we go through as the auditor to try to select whether or not a topic rises to the level of a CAM or should be included, in, therefore, in the report? Yep. So this next slide, we actually have the PCOB's six factors that they require as we're thinking about that third filter of especially challenging, subjective, or complex. It's a non-exclusive list. The PCOB has also made clear we should think about other audit-specific factors, but when you look at the factors they did lay out in the standard, really gets to areas that require a significant amount of judgment first on the part of management and therefore from the auditor in applying audit procedures to those particular areas. And then as you think about the nature of the work that we're performing in terms of the procedures we're performing, perhaps consultations with others outside the engagement team or the, or the nature of the evidence that we're uh, assessing, really focused on, again, areas in the auditor that are more subjective, challenging, or complex. Also, you could think about um, CAMs being driven perhaps by, you know, complexities in company systems or um, significant transactions, and those are, are either explicit or implicit in some of these factors. As you start to think about these, though, they're, they're, they're connected in many ways, and so you're often not tripping. Once, once you start getting to matters that are likely to be a CAM, they probably start to trip, if you will, or, or lean heavily on multiple of these factors as we start to think about what could rise to the level of a CAM. Yeah, and it, it's you know it's it's interesting with um, with some of these concepts and some of the you know the the six uh, factors um, because there there's it gives you some comfort at least that there shouldn't be things that um, are just going to come out of nowhere and you know the auditor is going to bring to the table and, and not be part of the yeah that and that's actually a great point and we'll talk maybe a little bit about this but <clears throat> I think the the factors do really help you to get some consistency in the outcome. But again, all these start with matters that you're discussing with the audit committee to begin with, and, and often they're a subset, if you will, of the company's critical accounting estimates. And so uh, in terms of the, the areas that are more common CAMs, maybe we'll get into that as well. But, but, I, but I, you know, I, I, think, I think you're right. The, these factors are intended to help with a degree of consistency, but ultimately it's going to depend on the particular audit and the relative nature of the matters one deals with on that audit and that particular year of the audit. So let's talk about our dry run a little bit yeah. that we had as a firm. Um, 
any examples there that you can share that, that we saw of, of CAMs, or in, in particular if there are ones that related to tax? Yeah. So on, on this slide you can see, I mean, the most common CAMs that we had were in the area of goodwill and, and intangible impairment assessments. And in all cases, it's the auditing or the audit effort over these areas. Um, certainly valuation of intangibles and in business combinations, uh, income to areas of income tax accounting, and I can give some more granularity around that, aspects of our work over revenue recognition, and uh, valuation of financial instruments were among the more common. But it really, again, did depend on the facts and circumstances of the company. Uh, Industry-specific CAMs that we saw, for instance, in banking, it wouldn't surprise anyone probably to hear that the allowance for loan loss often um, rose to the level of a CAM. Uh, you know, in, in pharma, gross to net, in regulatory asset accounting for, for utilities. So really, we did see some industry-specific and um, some that would just be based on kind of non-recurring, so non-recurring transactions, whether it's implementation of new standards uh, or significant transactions in the particular year, uh, significant legal contingencies that either arose during the year or had uh, movement in the particular year. Uh, could could drive a CAM as well. So it's really, again, facts and circumstances um, to the audit. But in the area of income tax accounting, we did see um, a number of, of, of CAMs in that space in our dry runs, albeit less than we saw relative to goodwill, impairment, intangible impairment considerations. It wasn't like but the most common. It wasn't the most, but it was, it <laughs> was, it was common enough. And, yeah. and, and I would say the areas tended to be around, certainly in, the, in 2018, where we were doing um, you know, the, the dry runs concurrent with those audits, uh, tax reform, aspects of tax reform, certainly deferred deferred assets, uh, one or more um, UTPs. And so it could be that, again, the CAM is very specific to one, or it could be multiple uh, UTPs and then transfer pricing matters. And so we, we did see quite a few tax CAMs, not, not surprisingly given the level of challenge, subjectivity, or complexity in the audit work in those particular years, in the particular year. Gotcha. Um, so this is the first time this past year end when I've been asked questions about CAMs, and, and it was because of the dry runs, either audit clients of our own firm or, or other firms that were just trying to get more information about what a CAM is. But one of the things that struck me about those conversations is that they were in a very negative context. You know, yep. they were asking the question about, well, you know, I'm dealing with this thing, what is it, and trying to trying to get more information. Curious as to whether or not, I'm sure you get a lot of questions as well, do you feel that as well when you're getting asked about CAMs? And is this something that should be considered negative? Yeah, so, so generally I think the answer to that is no. I mean, there are, there are likely to be one or more CAMs on, on most, if not all, audits. The PCOB was clear about their expect, expectation around that. And you would expect there to be, based on the nature of, of an audit and, and, and the nature, the relative nature, the intent is to think about it relative to the particular year in audit. And so you'll, you'll ultimately kind of pick the matter or matters that were most challenging, subjective, or complex. Um, Many of the matters, you know, if you look at companies' disclosures on critical accounting estimates, they often have, you know, three, four, five, sometimes six, seven, or eight critical accounting estimates that are disclosed. Um, so it wouldn't be surprising that at least some number of those would be areas that would be ripe to consider as, um, you know, as critical um, audit matters. And, you know, so, so I think some of that is not going to be within a company's control. It's just a matter of the inherent risks associated with those particular accounts and disclosures, and then our auditing of that just drives a CAM. There, there will be other areas, though, uh, if you think of perhaps complex systems or something that the company undertook in a current year uh, that could make that particular year's audit more complex, uh, those kinds of CAMs certainly, to some extent, could be within management's controls. I'm not suggesting you wouldn't you wouldn't move forward with a transaction or or you wouldn't make changes to your systems, but 
doing so, or particularly doing so in a way that makes the audit more challenging, challenging or complex, can be a contributing factor to a CAM. So, um, but generally, I, I, I think that the you know people shouldn't think of them as as negative. In fact, it might be unusual not to see CAM, at least some number of CAMs in your audit. Um, also, really important to, important I think to to mention that CAMs are reported in the context of our existing opinion today. So we're not actually modifying the opinion in any way. It doesn't, they're not intended to undermine the existing opinion. It's not a piecemeal opinion. It's really incremental information, but still we have the pass-fail model and ultimately the opinion that's being provided. So um, probably a degree of caution relative to how one might use CAMs is important as well because, uh, again, ultimately the auditor is getting to the point of providing the same opinion that was being provided in the past. And, and so this isn't a way to diminish those um, th- that kind of ultimate opinion that the auditors provided. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please contact the speakers. Their contact information is in the description of this episode. Thank you.